All right, Big 12 football kicks off earlier than other conference matchups this year with a matchup between Houston and TCU. Let's jump in. Let's get to it. You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to a crossover edition of Locked On Cougs and Locked On Horn Frogs. I'm one of your hosts, Parkers, and I'm joined by Stephen Simcox. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm good, Parker. It's going to be with you. We did this over the summer, and uh, I kept forgetting that this game was like kind of in the middle of non-conference, you know, sort of early <laughs> in the season. But I'm excited. Primetime matchup on Fox. I know it means a lot for Houston fans that they're back. Uh in Power 5 football or whatever you want to call it now, back in uh, the big stage in the Big 12. And so it should be fun. I'm excited to talk to you about the game. Yeah, I'm looking forward. We kind of previewed like the theoretical matchup back in the summertime, and now it's finally here. And I feel like all week we've, and frankly, even leading up to the first game of the season, this has been like a very anticipated Houston Cougar football season mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. Um, you know, I have to be honest with you, Stephen, one of the reasons is that, TCU is coming in as a defending college football playoff runner-up, right? And that kind of adds the strength of the conference. And as Houston's getting ready to play the big boys, I think on paper, TCU is some of the biggest of boys. So I want to start off the episode today asking you a few questions about those guys, and then we'll let uh, TCU is going to turn the tables and ask about Houston. You'll hear more about the Houston Cougars in the second segment. In the third segment, we're going to do game predictions, talk about the line moving and and more of that kind of stuff. So if that's more your bag, hold on your horses. We'll get there, I promise. But, Stephen, I've got to ask, um, because I'm really into coaches and schematics and X's and O's and kind of stuff, it is year two of the Sonny experience. Talk me through what's that like. He's an offensive mind, but sometimes people critique his teams for not having a whole lot of defense. Um, he is very creative. They had a very good team a year ago. What's it been like? Yeah, well, defensively, it's been kind of a strange journey. So they were coming off, obviously, like Gary Patterson – uh, was defensive-minded. That's what he was known for. He pioneered the 4-2-5, and they changed over to a 3-3-5 over Joe Gillespie, who came up from Tulsa. Their defense was really bad in 2021, and in 2022, last season, I think they were better. Um, they didn't really have high expectations, but they kind of held on when they had to. They got stops when they needed to. They were good at forcing turnovers. Uh, they were good at making adjustments in the middle of games. And so they slowly started to sort of find their rhythm and get better as the year went on. Uh, and then the, the end of the year was tough, but they were obviously playing Michigan and Georgia who have very high-powered offenses. Uh, the beginning of this year has been sort of interesting. They ran into a buzzsaw in Colorado and Travis Hunter and uh, Shador Sanders and that team. And I think there's a lot of questions right now about um, I, I guess you would call it the bend but don't break style that Joe Gillespie kind of brings to the table. Uh, there's, you know, big cushions for wide receivers. Uh, there's a lot of times where he only rushes three or four guys at a time. He's not, he's not really um, keen on bringing a lot of blitz pressure. You know, he kind of lets his uh, linebackers and safeties and corners handle their business and coverage, and that can be problematic at times. It's, it feels like offenses have sort of figured that out. Um, and so I, I think this week will be a great test because they, I mean, they bounced back last week. They played Nickel State. So, you know, the competition is what it is. They held them to six points. 
Um, I think people are, are curious to see uh, this defense against better athletes, you know, and an experienced quarterback like Donovan Smith this week. And then offensively, you know, one thing that I've realized with Sonny, you're totally right. He's an offensive mind. He's a Michael Leach disciple. He was on staff with Dana Holgerson there at Tech back in the day. Uh, he, he's an air raid, air raid person. But um, when he was at Cal, he sort of changed philosophies. Like that whole experience where he he had a couple losing seasons, he ends up getting fired. Um, he realized he's, or he says he realized at that point, okay, I have to run the ball. Like my offenses have to be more physical. I can't just be spread it out and throw it 60 times a game guy anymore. And so last year it was Garrett Riley and they did that effectively. And they went and got Kendall Bryles from Arkansas in the off season. Um, and I, I don't quite know what the identity of this offense is other than they want to go fast. That's the one thing that they've done <laughs> in the first two games is it's, it's very tempo heavy, you know, getting up to the line, we're snapping the ball um, and a lot of RPO with Chandler Morris and they, they ran the ball really well against Colorado. They didn't run the ball great against Nickel State. Um, they haven't taken a lot of shots down the field yet, and so I, we haven't seen a bunch of the vertical passing uh, game aspects of his offenses that he had at Baylor worked into this this particular group yet. And, and so, again, there's, there's some uncertainty there. But I think overall it's clear that they want to push the tempo uh, and simplify things. And, and I don't mean that to say, like, because Chandler can't process things, but I, I just feel like they want to get the ball to their athletes in space and allow them uh, to make things happen. And it's, you know, it's not so predicated on um, long developing plays and, and trying to, to scheme guys open, if you want to say that. Well, and you mentioned, you know, still figuring out the Kendall Bryce experience. I'm sure you talked a lot about that hire for a number of different reasons and angles. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. been like very much discussed across the country, but he does bring different elements in offense than they would have had a year ago. He also is getting to play with new toys, for lack of a better phrase. And a lot of those guys are, I mean, the wideout room is unrecognizable compared to you. And not just because they had guys drafted and stuff like that, but I counted five of the six guys on their two deep I saw or transfers um, and like, not like low caliber, like, like big time power five type transfers. Um, what can you tell us about the new faces either in that room or elsewhere that are making an impact so far this year? So they brought in a lot of guys on the inside, like at the slot position that have been really good for them. JP Richardson from Oklahoma state um, has been there. He will, he was their leading receiver in the Colorado game. Um, and then he didn't really play much against nickel state. Apparently he was banged up, but Sonny Dyke said they do expect him to play. This week, JoJo Earl is another guy they're excited about from Alabama. Um, he hasn't been featured a lot yet, but he is uh, one of the big name transfers. And then Jalen Robinson, um, who was at UCF and then went to Old Miss and is now at TCU. Uh, he's a speedy guy on the outside that they got more involved. Uh, Dalen Wright from Minnesota, Warren Thompson from Arkansas. So there's a lot of new names. What I'll say about the wide receivers room. Uh, what stands out to me so far, I think they got a lot of guys that could be really good. They don't have a clear alpha yet. Like, they don't have a, a go-to guy. And obviously last year it was Quentin Johnson, who now plays for the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, and whether Quentin was super involved or not in the game, like just the the way he brought the gravity of the defense to him, that was, that was such a, a game-changing force in every matchup for them. I feel like they're still trying to feel that out. And then the other names – to know is they got a couple good tight ends and Jared Wiley and Jack Besh. Uh, Wiley's been around for a while. Jack Besh is a transfer from LSU. 
But um, Wiley's big kid. He's 6'7". He's like over 250. Um, he's a good blocker, but they're trying to feature him more in the passing game. So, yeah, no shortage of, of players that you think are on paper should have big seasons. But honestly, nobody's really emerged yet as like uh, the go-to guy. And so we'll see if we have any more clarity on that this week when they take on Houston. Last question, and just a quick one before we keep moving a little bit. But Imani Bailey and Trey Sanders have been working together. Um, that run game, like you mentioned, Colorado looked pretty strong and what ended up being mm-hmm. kind of a shootout of a game. What can you tell about that tandem? And, I mean, are they working together? How, how do you see that playing out? So Amani's the lead back. I mean, Trey is getting – he's getting carries, but I think Amani is the clear number one starter. Um, and he's really explosive. I mean, he's the guy that's going to, you know, hit the hole fast and try to break away, and he's got good speed. Uh, Trey Sanders has been more of a short yardage back so far, but he did have two touchdowns in that Colorado game. Um, Trey was originally at Alabama, and then he transferred in this offseason. He had a really bad car accident a few years back, and he's never really gotten that explosiveness back since then. Um, But he's a good, tough runner, patient. Um, So I I think you're going to see a heavy dose of Monty Bailey. You'll also see Trey Sanders. They got another guy named Trent Battle, um, who they use more in the passing game, but that's another name to know. And so it's it's sort of by committee, but I, I feel like Amani is has emerged as the number one running back, and he'll be the guy that gets uh, the the heaviest workload on Saturday. Stephen, before we keep it moving, because I, I want to talk to you some about Houston's guys as well, but I also want to talk to the folks listening at home about a way to save some money on something everyone's going to need at some point, you know, don't want to need it, but you're going to need some medical supplies from Jace medical. And we're trying to save you guys over $360 in value, by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace medical and save an additional $20 off using code locked on at checkout at jacemedical.com. That's J A S E medical.com. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during an unexpected Emergency. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you a peace of mind so that you are not just hoping that you have access to medication in an emergency. Jace Medical makes sure that you have medication in hand. Jace Medical is a simple. They handle everything from the online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. Don't get caught unprepared. Save more than $360 in value by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical plus an additional $20 off by using code LOCKEDON at checkout. JaceMedical.com. That's J-A-S-E Medical.com. Promo code LOCKEDON. All right. I want to I hear what, what it, Houston's new to the conference. TCU's run the show for a little bit. What questions do TCU folks have about the Cougs? Yeah, so I guess we'll start here, Parker. And I know you've talked a lot about that this week, this uh, subject this week. But uh, what happened in this Rice game? So, <laughs> battle for the Bayou bucket. I know the Owls jumped out to a big lead. Houston fights back and, I mean, ties that ball game up and then they lose in overtime. Um, I, I saw your, I saw some of your tweets. I, I know some of the players mentioned, like, looking ahead maybe to bigger games later on in the season, but what was your perspective on kind of the, the letdown against rice and what went on there in that ball game? Yeah. So in a game that was on NFL networks, I don't even know if people that weren't Houston and rice yeah. fans were watching. It was also at the exact same time as Texas, Alabama, I guess. So the TV metrics indicate mm-hmm. people did not watch. Um, I have to say that it was, I like they were down 21, nothing at the end of the first 28, nothing early in the second quarter, just boom, like out the gates, everything that could go wrong had gone wrong. 
Um, Donovan Smith got hit and threw a pick, and they scored a couple quick touchdowns. I don't know if everyone in America remembers JT Daniels, but he is now the quarterback at Rice. Um, And he, for all his flaws, can sling it around. They got one of the McCaffrey brothers playing receiver. Um, They were talented, and they got up to a 28-0 lead. And it was very clear Houston was like not ready to play at kickoff. They just they just weren't. And there was some accountability there from Holgerson himself afterwards. Several players in the post game commented initially as a team. Then like Nelson Caesar, star defensive end, was like, "No, you know, I should probably just speak for myself." But I was definitely looking ahead to Big Twelve play and like this year as a ex- big thing, and had completely looked past this game. Houston, for what it's worth, got down twenty nothing and reeled off. 35 unanswered points to take the lead in overtime um, and then end up losing in double overtime uh, double overtime. You got to go for two and they missed their two point conversion. Um, really, really weird game because as far as describing the Houston Cougars, are they the team that went down 20, nothing to rice early or are they the team that reeled off 35 points, right? 35 yeah. straight points um, unanswered points I should say. And that's a really, really difficult thing to balance I will say, and and I I'll leave it at this for the sake of this conversation. If you say you look past Rice to look ahead to the next Big Twelve game, you need to kind of show up in the Big Twelve game, or else it looks like you didn't that for nothing, right? So we'll mm-hmm. see. So Donovan Smith, I mean, uh, experienced player. He was part of that three quarterback, you know, kind of carousel at Tech last year. But he was their QB when they beat Texas. There were times where he looked like the best quarterback on that roster. Um, what, how would you evaluate the job that he's done so far as uh, starting QB for the Cougars? Well, and he was the all-star quarterback when he beat Houston, <laughs> which was somewhat funny. Um, you know, in the first game, he looked tentative and looked like a guy, it frankly, looked like a freshman. It was his first year in a new offense, first game in a new offense. Um, he kind of settled into himself in the second half of the Rice game, ended up with, uh, I believe, five total touchdowns, three rushing and two passing um, his rushing has been, has been interesting because I guess in watching him as tech stuff, I thought of him more as like a strider. Like once he got out in space, he could kind of open it up and like turn on the burners a little bit. And he's yeah. been more of a power runner, um, which I knew he had in his bag. I just thought that he had more to it than that. Um, he also, interestingly enough, analytically has been better throwing from the pocket than he has been in play action or on the run type scenarios. And so, I think that that is something that has taken me by surprise a little bit. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is a year ago, he was kind of a turnover machine. That was why you mentioned the three quarterback system at Tech. He kind of would get a short leash because of those turnovers. He's only thrown the one pick this year, and it was when he got hit while he threw. So you kind of have to feel like, you know, if he got to like step into his throw, what would have happened there? Um, if he can keep those down, Houston's got a lot of talent around him. I'm really high on the kid. I know the deal was coming into the season. There was a, uh, a quarterback like battle between he and a kid that has been here for a year and originally transferred from Arkansas named Lucas Coley. And obviously, once you lose a game, you know this well as anyone. The backup quarterback is the most popular guy on campus, right? Oh, yeah. So there are people that there are people that are saying all kinds of cra- crazy things. But I've, I've liked Donovan through his first two games. Uh, obviously, pretty big test this weekend. But I don't I don't mean this ne- too negatively. There's been quarterbacks that have some success against this three three five defense. I, I wonder what Donovan looks like against it. Yeah, and let's dial down on the running game for a little bit because, you know, that's one of the things that just jumped out to me looking at numbers is he's been their leading rusher so far um, in in attempts at least, you know, like 29 attempts on the year. Has that been mainly by design? You mentioned the, the power running aspect of it, or has it been, you know, breakdown, scrambling, a little bit of both? What's that looked like for him? 
Yeah, what I what I like that they're doing a lot with him that I tried to advocate for Clayton Toon to do more a year ago is they're making like a pre-snap read on an RPO. So they'll run like some sort of a pass concept on the left with trips, and then they'll run like a quarterback counter in the box, and he's making a basic pre-snap box read on if they have six or seven guys in the box, I spit it out to the, the concept. If they have five guys in the box, we run the power. Um, and it's led to not great yards per carry. He's getting, like I said, three yards per carry, three yards in a cloud of dust. But down inside the red zone, and then several times that in that Rice game, that has turned into touchdowns because there's just there's just not – the defense has to be wrong at some point, right? Yeah. Um, it also – and you mentioned like he leads the team in carries – the rest of the running backs are kind of playing running back by committee right now. No one has separated themselves between Tony Mathis and Stacey Sneed. I'm a fr- fan of the freshman Parker Jenkins, but he's only gotten a few carries mm-hmm. thus far. He's got some speed, though. Um, and amongst those guys, they're kind of splitting the other half of the carries and the workload all as, as together. But down in the red zone, I think Donovan likes to keep it and put it in them himself. So <laughs> they, their stats may not be jumping off the page because they're sharing the ball and they're, you know, they're not getting the touchdowns. I think Stacy Sneed had one touchdown. Um, but, but Donovan's become the goal line short runner for, for sure. Um, and this defense. So, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago that Doug Belk was like one of the hottest names in the kind of assistant coaching realm of college football. Um, what was going on? I know they played really <laughs> well against UTSA for some turnovers, do you feel like the game against JT Daniels was just kind of an anomaly? What was happening that, that gave them issues in that ball game? Well, I mentioned in, in that game that, you know, they jumped out to a 20 nothing for first four possessions, 20 nothing really fast. Right. And yeah. I really, it felt like because Houston's offense on the field for so little time. And you said TCU does tempo. So that's kind of scary because rice was also more of a tempo kind of team. I don't, I don't know that they ever caught their breath in that first quarter and change okay. while that was going on because they were on the field for every snap. They were also down one of their interior guys, uh, Chidozier Dot um, He is, he is. I mean, he was an all, he's an all conference American type guy. Um, I don't guess he actually won that award that year, but he's he's that caliber of football player, um, and he's he's really kind of an anchor in the middle, and he was not available in the Rice game after an ankle injury the week before uh, still hearing like he, it looks like he may give it a go this Saturday. We'll see. Um, but he, he, t- he changes things in the interior run game. Houston's got great defensive ends. Uh, they got linebackers that are inexperienced, but I think very athletic. And then their secondary, and this will be interesting to see against TCU and all their new receivers. Their secondary is this hodgepodge of guys that mostly are all transfers. Um, Isaiah Hamilton comes in from Texas Southern. He had a pick in, in the rice game. Uh, Malik Fleming was an All-American Athletic Conference player at Eastern at East Carolina. Uh, he had two picks in the opener off of uh, what's his name UTSA. Um, uh, Frank Morris, uh, Frank Harris, mm-hmm. um, and they've got uh, AJ Halsey playing free safety. He transferred from New Mexico, where he led all freshmen in all divisions of college football and tackles. They've got talent back there; they just haven't played a lot together. And so, you know, you're a football guy in the secondary not knowing where your buddy's going to be can kind of change things. And so it's interesting to watch those guys learn how to gel so far. Uh, a final thing for you, and then we'll do predictions and and some talk about, you know, the lines and that kind of thing in a minute. Um, so Matthew Golden was a guy that I was really like, TCU was in heavy on him. He ends up going to Houston. They did a great job recruiting him. Uh, but I was hoping he would end up in Fort Worth. And I know Samuel Brown has emerged like early this year. And so th- those two guys specifically, and I guess the receiver room as a whole, um, what is what has stood out about their play and, and how they've kind of gelled together so far this season? 
Yeah, so Matthews, I think Matthew Golden has been appropriately frustrated because he's been getting the bracket coverage, don't let him touch the ball kind of stuff. UTSA did that very effectively, I thought. Um, and, and Rice kind of follow. It's a you know football's a copycat sport in that way, mm-hmm. right? Um, he does have three touchdowns, like in the in yeah. the end zone, in the red zone. Houston will run all kinds of rub routes to get him open and that kind of stuff. And frankly, the two point conversion that they missed, they were going for him as well. Uh, it was just a tough catch, like a jump ball catch in the corner of the end zone. He couldn't quite come down with. Um, but who's benefited from that the most? You mentioned is Sam Brown. Sam Brown is the other traditional outside receiver. Um, he has 15 catches for almost 250 yards on the season. Um, he has big catches as well. He's more of a down-the-field threat. Um, and because so much of the focus has uh, from defenses has been on Golden, Sam Brown has some of the best stats in the Big 12 as far as catch percentage on targets and stuff like that. Um, and then the inside guy, Houston's got a unique slot receiver in Joseph Manjack. Uh, Manjack is a big guy, like a 6'3", 215 kind of guy. And he's a big guy that wears no gloves and does the dirty work. Like he is, he's a fun receiver to root for for sure. Um, but it's a little bit different to see that size guy in the slot. They got decent talent at the backup spots and a bunch of transfers coming in. And the question for Houston on Houston message boards has been: they've got crazy high uh, high end talent that came in. Mikhail Harrison, pilot, you're a TCU guy, you know that guy at high school as well as anybody. Um, that all came in as freshmen this year. And it almost looks like Houston might be trying to see if they can get away with redshirting them because of how deep the receiver room is. We'll see if any of those guys have their redshirt torn for Big 12 play or not. But the room is deep, but I think Matthew Golden is frustrated because of the kind of coverage he's seeing personally. I'll be interested to see if anyone decides that they can, you know, risk playing a more traditional coverage and let Sam Brown, you know, cover up Sam Brown a little bit more or something like that. Because right now Sam Brown's been the one burning people because of it. I'm going to toss it back to Parker in a minute, and we'll go over uh, over under and some lines for this game. But do you need tickets for this weekend, TCU and Houston, in H-Town? Like, do you want to go to this football game? If you're sitting here on Thursday, you're watching this, or you're listening to this, and you're like, I can't make it to this f- football game. It's on Saturday night. It's already Thursday. Download the Game Time app. You see it on the screen there. Use that promo code Locked On College for $20 off. It's not just football tickets, even though that's a great thing to buy on the Game Time app. Comedy shows, uh, theater shows, whatever it is that you're interested in, any sort of event, concerts, all those things, you can get them on the Game Time app. One thing I love about the Game Time app, I'm scrolling around right now. Uh, look at this upper sideline, section 333, row one, $13. They'll just tell you immediately, and there's a picture, it shows you exactly what your view is for the game. Um, you can get tickets for 25 bucks for this football game. There's a lot of options like 15, 16, $17. If you need last-minute tickets, they have flash deals. Check it out today. Don't. It, it's not. It doesn't have to be stressful. Finding tickets on the secondary market can be stressful. You, know, you feel like, oh man, there's all these fees. I don't know how to manage this. Game time makes it really easy. They'll send the tickets to you in a matter of seconds, uh, and they go directly to your phone. You don't have to dig through your email to find them. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code Lockdown College for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Uh, terms apply, but again, create an account and redeem code Lockdown College. For $20 off, download the Game Time app today. Last-minute tickets at the lowest price, guaranteed. All right, Parker, set us up for uh, this matchup. What are we looking at? What are we seeing from our friends on the over-under front? Well, and so I went to our buddies over at FanDuel, and I looked at the numbers on Monday because I was intrigued. And at the time, TC was favored by 7, and the over-under was at 60.5. 
I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then before we, you know, jumped on tonight, I looked at it again because I was like, huh, I wonder what's going on over there. Uh, you know, is there any juice on a Thursday night or whatever they mm-hmm. can talk about? And they've moved our game. It's now a seven and a half point line for TCU. And the over-under has moved to 63 and a half. And before we get into previewing what we think is going to happen, Stephen, what does that tell you about the way people are looking at this game? The line is moving up. Yeah, I feel like most people don't know what to make of either team, so they're just kind of defaulting to, I guess, the favorite. If you if you want to call it that in TCU, the team that maybe is is more established and on paper should handle business. But it's on the road. It is fascinating that it's moved. You know, the over-under suggests to me that there's just – which I always hate betting the over because I feel like anytime I'm like, okay, two good offenses, shaky defenses, <laughs> it's going to be a shootout. It ends up being like a slugfest, and it's like 7-3 midway through the first quarter, and I'm like, oh, no, I've made a massive mistake. <laughs> but uh, the way these teams have, have played so far, yeah, you would think 63-and-a-half. That seems like a pretty safe bet. It basically just means both teams are scoring over 30 points. I would like my chances. Uh, making that happen, but what, what's your what's your take on it? Why do you think people are are kind of giving the frogs the bump here? Is it that that game against Rice? Now all the sharks are are out on this Houston team for the moment. I, I think that Rice has the average national person bullish on Houston for sure, but I, I'm going to be more firm on it than you are. I see even 63 and a half. I'm like. Sonny and Dana will score more than 30 points on one yeah. another's defenses. <laughs> like, like, I, like, uh, like they're both offensive guys. Um, you mentioned Gillespie from Tulsa. Uh, Dana has obviously coached against him some in the past. And, um, and, and, and frankly, Dana coached against Sonny some when Sonny was at SMU. I, I look at this, and I think that that 63-and-a-half is still low. 60-and-a-half I felt was really low. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm thinking – you know, TCU is getting 41 and a half points per game this season already. Uh, Houston just put up, like I said, 35 unanswered last week. I, I feel like that one feels kind of safe. I'm going to hit the over there because I picture this being kind of a blowout. Um, what ha- what do you feel? I mean, you mentioned TCU's got tempo and and they've got a new offensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles. What do you think is going to happen this Saturday? Man, it's a great question. I, I think both teams, you know, are going to be fired up. I think Houston, Big 12 opener, coming off a loss. They want to make a statement at home. Um, TCU's trying to kind of put things all together for the first time this season. I'm going to pick the Frogs to win. I feel like ultimately, you know, their depth and their talent just kind of wins out in this ballgame. I I wouldn't want to touch that line, but I'm not sure I would bet on them to cover. I just think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be kind of a wild game back and forth. Um, but yeah, I, I have TC winning. What do you think, Parker? What's your prediction for, for how this shakes out Saturday night? Well, seven and a half is an interesting line because it's basically, do you think it's a two score game or not? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, I, I'm a, a Houston guy, but if it's a two score game, I don't think it's Houston's way. Right. Um, I, I just, I think if this is a blowout one or the other, it's the more established team. Right. And that's why I would probably say, if you told me, you know, crystal ball, it is a two score game that mm-hmm. I'd probably pick TCU. That's why in a seven and a half point game, I would say people ought to be betting Houston because I don't know that this will be a two score game. I think it's going to be the kind of, you know, 2013, 14 Big 12 game where you're looking at scores in like 42 to 35, 42 to 38 kind of game mm-hmm. um, just because neither team can tackle one another, frankly. And I, I think that that's kind of what we're looking at here. Obviously, being at home, the juice coming off of like 
you know, hearing a lot of hate from all week. People talking about rice, this rice, that people talking about, you know, Dana's not the guy. Dana's not like all that kind of stuff. I think that there will be some extra motivation there. And frankly, like I said at the opening, if you're going to say against Rice, we looked past these guys at the next game, you kind of need to show up in the next game. And yeah. so I, I, I feel like it's a close game that pulls out Houston's way. But I, I don't know if Houston can win in a blowout. You're going to pick TCU. I, I, I'll say 42-38 Houston. What, what would you put a score on if you had to? Yeah, 42-38 is a good score. I'll say uh I'll say 38-34 TCU. So we're in the same range. We're we're kind of we're we both think it'll be an offensive football game. Um and yeah, it should be a fun one, man. You see Parker's Twitter handle down there at Painsworth512. TCU guys, uh, Parker's a good follow when he's not making smug Astros tweets. I like the rest of his stuff. <laughs> you're, you're a Rangers guy. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> I'm a Rangers guy, yeah. But I mean, I, I understand. We, you know, we all have our things. Uh, tell the people though, Parker, where they can find Locked On Cougs and all your coverage from this week and beyond. Locked On Cougs, everywhere you get your podcast, YouTube, any audio platform, just Locked On Cougs. If you're a TCU person, we do spell with two O's. And then on social media, wherever you get social media, I am Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512. Um, Steven, aside from the Rangers, you are frequently talking about sports in the Metroplex, um, <laughs> and there are a lot more Cougs in the Metroplex, I, I think, than people realize. Where can people find you and your coverage of said Plex? Yeah, at Simcox Steven on Twitter, the show's at Locked On TCU. Locked On Horn Frogs, find it on YouTube and wherever it is you get your podcast. For Houston fans, I'll, I'll make a shameless plug before we go. I'm going to have Ted Party on tomorrow from the uh, radio broadcast. Um, his son, Luke, is actually a walk-on quarterback for TCU. Obviously, his dad, Jack, um, was a former coach there, and he has deep ties to Houston. So we'll have a fun conversation about just – kind of the history of this matchup and then i'll ask him a few questions about the game itself too so um yeah check that out friday definitely i'm intrigued to hear about who he's rooting for his heart his know, lineage yeah. what's he doing there right. yeah yeah <laughs> but thanks for coming on thanks for having uh, making the crossover happen steven this is a lot of fun to have big 12 shows together he's been looking forward to this a long time so we always wrap up with go cougs that's why i say i don't know do y'all have your little your little frog we, we say yeah go, go frogs all right let's do it <laughs>